0: on Local Now, Channel
1: 525. What's the point? Yeah, if you need me, I I will not be watching the debate tonight. I will DVR it, just in case. And I will catch the highlights. But really, what is anybody going to say that's going to break any new ground tonight? If Donald Trump were there, it might be worth watching just to see how he uh, would handle being attacked by the rest of the group, or if the rest of the group had the guts to attack him. But as long as he's leading by, you know, 50 or 60 points in the polls for the nomination and leading the big guy by 10 in the general, do you really care what any of these people say at this point? Is Chris Christie going to say something tonight that's going to increase the possibility of you voting for him? He could elevate out of his chair, if that's possible, and float around the room, and then descend into, uh, ascend into heaven, and I still wouldn't vote for him. Is he going to say anything about anything other than what a bad guy Donald Trump is? And how about Mike Pence? Has he gone beyond 1% on the polls yet? I don't know. I pay very little attention to those. What, what's he going to say other than a major gaffe that anybody's going to remember by about 5 after 11 tonight? Now, Fox News is promoting it like it's a major event, almost to the point where I am expecting a, a red carpet. That's coming, by the way. It's only a matter of time that we see one of those. Nikki Haley is the only woman running, in case you hadn't noticed. And I'll bet you she says we need a new generation of leadership and that no matter how much money we're sending to Ukraine, it's not enough. That's what you'll get from Nikki. Vivek uh, Ramaswamy made a big splash in the first debate. Maybe he'll come up with something interesting, but is it worth watching for two hours to find that out? Tim Scott is going to tell you how he's lived the American dream. Ron DeSantis will tell you what a great job he's done in Florida, and he'll try not to say anything that will jeopardize his position as the fallback guy if something happens to Trump. And Doug Burgum, he's the governor of North Dakota, he's going to try to get somebody to notice him. So if you need me tonight at 9 o'clock, I'll be watching something else. When we come back, have you seen any masks lately? I actually saw a guy wearing one today while he was walking his dog in the woods, in the woods with no human within 100 yards of him. There are people out there just waiting to be told to put one on again. We're going to talk to Jeffrey Anderson of City Journal, who says the maskaholics are getting ready to strike again. And in our second half hour, the unofficial Philadelphia correspondent for the show, Christine Flowers, will be here to talk about the latest insanity In the streets there, in case you haven't seen what's going on there, check that out. Stick around. As I mentioned at the opening of the show, I saw a guy wearing a mask today in the woods, which I think is terrifying because it shows how well the government did in selling the idea that masks actually work. And it also shows that there are plenty of people out there who are just waiting to be told to put one on again. I guess the question is how many are out there. Joe Biden wore one to a Medal of Honor ceremony a couple of weeks ago. Jeffrey Anderson of City Journal was writing about the study of math, the stupidity, I should say, of masks uh, long before it was cool. And he's been writing about studies, too. He joins us now. Jeff, thanks for coming on again. Appreciate it. Well, my pleasure, John. So uh, where are we now in mask insanity? Uh, Joe, wearing one uh, didn't cause any panic, but is there any panic out there waiting to happen?
2: Oh, I definitely think there's panic out there waiting to happen. Um, if, uh, if there's a strong uptick in the number of COVID cases, for example, you'll definitely find a lot more people wearing masks. Um, I mean, I do think the encouraging thing is there's an awful lot, a large part of the citizenry now who's had it with the masks and, and wouldn't wear them under any condition. Um, so there's definitely a divide in the country at this point.
1: Are some schools still making kids wear them? Yeah, some of them are.
2: uh, Isolated schools here and there. Um, It seems to be kind of disproportionately um, schools that have students who already are not achieving very well academically. And uh, I'm sure this is just going to make matters worse, of course, because you can't really communicate well at all if you're wearing a mask. People like to pretend that when you have a mask on, it makes no difference that you can't see somebody's facial expressions and their voice is muffled. Um, but obviously, it has a profound effect on human social interaction, which uh, which would make them a very high price to pay to wear, even if they
1: worked. Yeah, you, uh, you point out in the piece uh, that you wrote a little while ago at City Journal about the effects of, well, the effects, first of all, of masks, as you just mentioned, on the ability to learn and just function at school and also... The statistics to show how just stupid it is to even put a mask on a kid.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, for starters, kids have been mercifully largely unaffected by COVID. The CDC's own stats show that COVID um, has really been only marginally more deadly for kids than the flu. And of course, you know, very, very few children die of the flu and very few have died of COVID. Um, and so, you know, they're the ones who uh who were spared by COVID, but they've been the target of the COVID public policy um folks and 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 they've made sure the kids have felt the effects of COVID in in a lot of different ways beyond the immediate effects of the disease. So, I mean, it's crazy to stick kids in masks and especially crazy when they're doing things like wearing masks when playing sports, but no matter what, it just it it doesn't make any sense and um You know, and it clearly has an adverse effect on their on their ability to learn and mature. I mean, it's horrible for I can't even imagine how many infants we screwed up by having everyone's face be in a mask right after they were born. Um, That can't be good.
1: I remember seeing the videos of uh, infants on airplanes crying and squirming around as their mother or one of their parents trying to put a mask on them. (laughs) <laughs> and, yeah, and, we'll and stay and stay to with... see it now just seems so ridiculous but what you're saying is that we shouldn't we probably shouldn't um uh, not expect to see it again at some point
2: no i well the public health establishment has not remotely uh reversed field on this they're they are determined to uh to perpetuate the myth that masks work they knew they didn't work at the start of the pandemic that's why they initially said don't wear masks and and uh and they even said, uh, the Surgeon General said that masks can even be counterproductive in, in stopping the spread of viruses because they're dirty and gross and you put your hands on the mask when the virus is on there and you can spread it in other ways like that. There are, there are randomized controlled trials, two of them to be exact, that have, have shown statistically significant evidence that that masks make matters worse in terms of spreading viruses. Most of them just show that masks are, are pointless. Um, so you know the public health establishment is just determined to. Uh, they seem to think that by by dictating masks, they they show that they are, are worth something. That I mean, public health officials love public health interventions, and I think they think that it makes them seem like they actually have something to contribute.
1: Yeah, it's uh, you know as I said at the beginning here, you were talking about this the insanity of this uh, before it was cool. We talked about it on the show. Um, Long before people started becoming really skepti- skeptical about it, and, th- and deciding that it was insane, um, but uh, uh, what what could the what would the could the um, motivation be? Uh, you mentioned that you know the health people think they're they're it shows how smart and wonderful they are, but there's got to be something beyond that, especially if I mean, how do they how do the health people people in the health industry? not know that the masks could actually make people sicker? And if they do know that, why would they be continuing to push it?
2: Well, it's like it's become sort of a religion for a lot of these people, that they're just determined to believe that the masks work, regardless of whatever the studies show. And, and the studies are rather clear. I mean, the randomized controlled trials, there's now been 16 conducted on masks, and none of them show compelling evidence that masks work. The prestigious Cochrane Review went through those randomized controlled trials, RCTs, and and that's what they concluded. Um, so there's just there's no reason to believe they work medically. And it really ought to alarm people when you walk into a hospital or a doctor's office and, and they're wearing masks or telling people to put masks on. Cause it ought to make you wonder how often they don't look at the medical research on other matters, which is kind of a frightening thought. Um, but, you know, there's there's, there are people, probably most of them on the left who simply cannot stand the thought that they cannot control something. And so this belief that by wearing the mask, we can control the virus. We can control other people by making them wear the mask. That seems to be a very powerful motivation for a lot of people. Um, you know, I'm sure there's even some more explicitly political notions intertwined with that. Like, uh, you know, Donald Trump way back in, uh, 2020 said, I won't personally be wearing a mask. And, and shortly thereafter, it became a badge of honor for some on the left to, to wear a mask, kind of like sticking a black lives matter flag on one's face.
1: Yeah. I, um, I, it, I, 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 tweeted it out today that I saw a, um, uh, that I saw this guy in the, which I've been known to do here. I keep people up to date on mask sightings. I kind of do that on my Twitter feed, which is at Stiger world, by the way. um, and I, I my response from response from one guy was, uh, "Who cares? Why don't you leave people alone? what how old are you five i mean that's that's some that's the uh, response I get from some people and i I do it because I think it's funny and I, it just makes for a, an easy tweet and it's you know I, I you know it's Twitter or X, I guess I have to call it now. but isn't it shouldn't we be paying attention to when we see people who are still wearing them? Doesn't isn't there an indication of something, that something is wrong, even if it's only a very few people? Oh, yeah, I totally
2: agree, John. I mean, it's an indication of a lot of things that are wrong. I mean, first off, that anyone would choose to live that way, to wear a mask in the woods at this point is is really bizarre. I mean, they're clearly, masks are uncomfortable, and, and, and given the evidence that they don't work, it's just, it makes you really wonder about the person. But, I mean, I mostly sort of feel sorry for people like that, and, you know, of course, if one can't laugh at human folly, then what's sort of what's the point of living, I guess. But um, but then you see like people sticking these masks on their kids. And that's that's just uh, a sort of low grade child abuse, in my opinion. And um, and and you I don't know, there's a there's a lemming like quality to people just thoughtlessly obeying the public health officials and and, and 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 walking around in their masks like, you know, like faceless stormtroopers. It's not it doesn't suggest a free thinking uh, vibrant citizenry that is capable of sustaining a republic. And so, yeah, I think it's, I think it's alarming. Um, but again, thankfully, uh, I think that, you know, partly through uh, shows like yours, there, there's been a strong pushback um, from the more traditionally minded, saner, truly freer thinking parts of the citizenry. And, and now I think you know, most people want nothing to do with mask mandates. And so I think the public health officials have a hard time imposing them again.
1: Yeah, here's what the guy said on X. He says, who cares? I saw a pumpkin today. So what? Is is your tweet an original thought, or do you just have to parrot some nonsense that no one really cares about? I was in the Burlington Coat Factory to get new slacks and didn't see anyone wearing a mask. Who gives a blank? That's a lot of people. I I wouldn't say a lot of people, but every time I do it, I get that kind of a response. And I was getting it back. In 2020, when I was uh, talking about seeing people wearing a mask while riding in the car by themselves, uh, I saw people write, wearing a mask riding a bike out on the bike path, and that's the response I got. That's um, uh, it, it's it's still out there.
2: Well, it is out there? I mean, um, <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what to say. I mean, they they uh, I guess if it, it, when people are being clearly uh, sort of. Irrational, and, and, you know, we don't take notice of it, then, then that's a little strange. Um, and, you know, and, and it does, uh, it, it, it is, there is something fundamentally antisocial, I think, about wearing a mask. You know, like, uh, somebody, uh, refuses to show their face in, in your presence. Well, that's, that's kind of a, uh, an unwillingness to interact as, as a normal human being, and, and that shouldn't be viewed, I think, as, as a particularly good thing.
1: We're talking to Jeffrey Anderson. He's a writer with the City Journal, also president of the American Main Street Initiative. Um, and I, uh, you, you quote in your story a doctor, that's a doctor now, who says she expects that we would need to come back to the mask by the end of this calendar year. And that she, this is, you wrote this not too long, just the last week or so, that she's, she's seen enough proof that masks work. This is a doctor. Uh, Yeah. uh, I mean,
2: uh, again, to me, that has been one of the most alarming things is that um, doctors have gone along with these decrees by public health officials as if they, the doctors, are incapable of looking at the medical studies themselves and evaluating the evidence. And uh, uh, I mean, it makes me worry about how often the doctors don't look at the medical evidence on other matters because, Mm -hmm. again, the the RCTs, the randomized controlled trials, th- those are the gold standards of medical research. You put one group in one c- category. In this case, they were, they're, they're asked to wear a mask. Another group, you say, don't wear a mask, and you see what happens over time. It's, it's very hard to politicize the results of those studies. It's very hard to get the result you want. That's why RCTs are, are, are universally considered the gold standard of medical research. And masks have, ju- have just flunked the RCTs over and over and over again, over 16, over 16 and um and yet you have these doctors claiming that they somehow you know must work and it just it it doesn't make any sense i mean doctors above all should know that that masks were like surgical masks were were never designed to stop the spread of viruses they were designed to keep doctors nurses own saliva what have you from inadvertently getting into patients open wounds a very different thing And the N95 masks, they were designed to prevent people from breathing in smoke or fumes, not little tiny microscopic viruses. So uh, it's amazing that doctors don't seem to be wanting to look at the medical evidence, but that seems to be the
1: reality. And they expect the kids to wear a mask and wear them properly so that they actually work. And you uh, you point out in your piece that the masks actually probably... Um, contribute to their illness because of the way they handle them. They're actually worse than nothing.
2: Well, yeah, if you've got this dirty mask that perhaps hasn't been washed in a few days, and you're handling it with hands that haven't been washed in a while, and you've got your fingers all over the mask, and then the mask gets all sweaty. And uh, I mean, that's clearly not exactly particularly hygienic. Um, So in a lot of cases, I think they they have the potential at least to make matters worse, but mostly I think they're just sort of a, a totem, just a, uh, something that people, a lot of people like to feel like must work, but in fact the evidence suggests otherwise. And then the other thing that we haven't talked about at all yet, John, I think is really interesting, is that um, my, my wife was saying from the very beginning of this that surely it's got to be bad to be breathing in so much of your own carbon dioxide yeah, with these masks. Yeah, yeah. And now, that, now sure enough there's studies out, a variety of studies um, some German researchers have highlighted, showing that people who wear masks are apparently breathing in 35 to 80 times normal levels of CO2. That's nice. Which does all kinds of stuff to mess you up um, in a wide variety of ways. It's it's worse CO2 levels than the Navy would allow someone to have to withstand on a Navy sub. Um, so you know, basically, people who wear masks are, are slowly poisoning themselves by breathing in their own carbon dioxide.
1: And so here's a guy (laughs) that I saw today uh, and, you know, maybe he's got some serious issue that he's terrified of catching the virus. Or maybe he has some, I don't know, some condition that would require him to wear a mask. I don't know what that would be, but he was in the he was out in the fresh air. So even if he's (laughs) sick, you would think that. The one place that he would want to go would be out into the woods, so that he could, you know, breathe in fresh air instead of his own stinky carbon dioxide.
2: Yeah, it, it kind of makes you think of like uh, Linus with his blanket, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, back in the
2: early, very early days of the pandemic, you remember? I'm sure they they, they closed parks and tennis courts and these kinds of things that you know like basically telling people don't go out in the fresh air it's 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 crazy and and even if this guy is really susceptible to things that doesn't make the mask
1: magically right. work right it's just so um so we're talking to jeffrey anderson of city journal uh, what so what what's your next piece going to be about when are you, when do you think you're going to find yourself having to write about this stuff again
2: well, you never know. I mean, I, I'm confident that the uh, you know this is a battle that's going to have to continually be fought because the uh, I think there's a lot of parallels between the you know the the global warming or so-called oh, yeah. climate change stuff mm-hmm. and, and masking, and, and where you've got a part of the population that wants everybody to just listen to the so-called elites, even when there's no real evidence to back up what they're saying, and in, in many, if not most cases. Um, so this battle is going to be ongoing, and I think it's a really important one. Um, you know, at, at the American Main Street Initiative, we're also working on a whole lot of other things. Uh, I'm currently working on a piece about how President Biden is, um, is blatantly refusing to enforce federal immigration law, and that's the root of this crisis we have at the border. Um, yep. So there's a lot of things to, uh, to hit on these days, but the masks are certainly uh, a very important one and, and one we've been extremely focused on.
1: Well, I'm sure we'll be uh, looking to talk to you about the uh, immigration thing when you write that piece. Um, And actually coming up in my next segment, I have a woman who's an uh, an immigration attorney, and I'm going to talk to her. She's in Philadelphia. I'm going to talk to her about the insanity in Philadelphia, but uh, Christine Flowers is her name. Um, But uh, this this is really blowing up on Biden now, isn't it? I think uh, I'll be looking forward to talking to you about it when you write about that. Jeff. Thanks for coming on the show.
2: Well, that sounds good, John. Thank you for having me. Always good to talk to you.
1: Okay, that's Jeffrey Anderson, City Journal. I'll be right back. Well, we talked about the terrifying possibility of mask mandates uh, coming back in our last segment. Um, One place where I seem to notice that masks are popular is Philadelphia. Lots of people were wearing them last night. Of course, they were looting stores Uh, It was a pretty wild scene down there, though. And Christine Flowers is a columnist for the Delco Daily Times and a talk show host and a pundit in Philadelphia. And she's also this show's unofficial Philadelphia correspondent. Good to have you back on again, Christine. How are you?
0: Hi, I, you know, um, always wonderful to talk to you, John. And um, hi to my Pittsburgh cousins, Western PA cousins. I feel when you say that I'm your official Philadelphia correspondent, that you should get me business cards printed up as a, you know, like a war correspondent.
1: Because <laughs> is that what you are?
0: Philadelphia is under siege. Yeah, exactly. We've. Uh, I, I, you know, it's weird. Yesterday, around I don't know 11:30, I was watching a fabulous documentary if anybody out there gets paramount plus and they stream paramount plus there's a wonderful documentary by my friend ty gray hill called 72 seconds in rittenhouse square um, i make a brief appearance in there talking about the great the late great frank rizzo but it's about the murder of a young real estate agent five years ago in a very tony ritzy area of philadelphia and the young uh, black man who stabbed him to death, stabbed him in the back, um, was uh, charged with, first he was charged with murder, then it was dropped to involuntary manslaughter, and he was ultimately acquitted. So there, there was no justice for the victim or his family. But I was watching the documentary, which is really fascinating. And at the moment that I was lamenting the fact that Frank Rizzo was no longer with us at policing. The uh, municipal court judge in Philadelphia dropped all charges, murder charges against a Philadelphia police officer named Mark Dial. Um, I'm not sure if this news has gotten West, but uh, about a month and a half ago, uh, maybe two uh, officer Dial was involved in an incident with a man named Eddie Irizarry. Eddie Irizarry had been driving erratically through Philadelphia. It was going to be a normal traffic stop. When they stopped him, um, they noticed that he had a um, a machete-type knife in his car on his lap. And there was a legitimate reason to believe on the part of the police officers that this was actually a gun because of the handle. Um, Tragically, uh, there was a shootout. The officer feared for his life, that's at least what he he testified to, and Irizarry was killed. So our DA, who is a George Soros DA, who absolutely despises police officers, he is vengeful towards them after a life of being a um, public defender, and now he's our prosecutor, God help us, he charged Officer Dial with first-degree murder and some additional charges. And a municipal court judge at a preliminary hearing yesterday looked at those charges and said there is no evidence to support any of the charges. And so she dismissed them. Well, when I heard that, it was right after I had seen the first episode of 72 Seconds in Rittenhouse Square. And I said to myself, I said, Christine, get home early. There are going to be riots tonight. And you sure live in the enough, city, right? I do. Yeah. I do. I do. I, in fact, in fact, I walked through the riots last night or I drove through the riots on the septa bus because where they were looting and stealing and vandalizing and thugging and being barbaric animals was a place that was about maybe four or five blocks from my apartment. And it's a very high-traffic area. It's it's, a, it's a, a commercial area. There are some nice stores there. So they were going into the stores. There was a Lululemon, which I got to say I don't have much sympathy for Lululemon because they have this policy where they don't allow their employees to yeah. stop shop with customers yep. So you know what? So get so you know what? Guess what? Karma, karma, baby. Mm-hmm. Um, for you for Lululemon. The Apple Store, this beautiful, um, fairly new Apple store that we have on um, Walnut Street, which is a, a, a nice Tony Street, was, was was looted, was sacked, was gutted. There's like nothing left. The um, uh, foot locker, the, you know the sneakers, they always go. they go for sneakers, they go for electronics. I had tweeted before any of this happened, I said, please pray. For the poor flat screen TVs that are going to be targeted tonight. And then I posted like a little pair of praying hands. Um, so yes, I knew what was going to happen. And in fact, it did happen. And so then yesterday after the judge, excuse me, after the judge dismissed the charges. Um, and after there was a so called peaceful protest of about a hundred friends and relatives of the victim who, who had been shot around City Hall, it wasn't peaceful. It was very threatening, John. Um, it was very threatening. After that, or right around the same time, Larry Krasner, our district attorney, uh, handpicked by George Soros and maybe about three and a half people in the city of Philadelphia, Uh, re-lodge the charges, lodge the charges again, and I believe they, they are the same exact charges. And so, query, if you know that a judge has dismissed charges because this judge thinks that there is no evidence to support the charges, and you refile those exact same charges, what are you doing? I think what he is doing is... One, in small part, his hatred of the police. I mean, we all know about that. That's kind of mm-hmm. yawn worthy at this point. But I think the more sinister, um, subtext here is that he is filing these charges again because he is afraid that if he does not get his pound of flesh out of the Philadelphia Police Department, there will be more riots, bigger riots, greater riots. As I said on, on Twitter, I said, the late, great Frank. Rizzo, um, had some very colorful language and I believe that don't worry, I'm not going to say anything that's going to get me banned off the airwaves but I believe that what Larry Krasner is thinking is that these thugs vigilantes um, and I'm sure that they have connection with Antifa because a lot of these, um, this, this riot was uh, orchestrated on social media this was not a spontaneous thing This was orchestrated, and they have evidence of that. So these uh, trash, essentially, um, are holding the city hostage by what Frank Rizzo would have called our stones. And I do truly believe that that is what is going on. And that's why Larry Krasner, beyond his hatred of the police and beyond his hatred of decent human beings and beyond his hatred of, let's be honest, a non-minority population, um, he, you know, is worried that the city's going to go up in flames yet again, as it did after George Floyd. So it's very. So it the, makes me feel very nervous that they have us in the palm of their hand.
1: So the, the, the guilt or the innocence of the, the, uh, the cop is not relevant. It's what, what the not. results will be if we don't convict this guy.
0: It's it's exactly it, John. There is this sense that a pound of flesh must be carved out of, uh, you know, they don't even care that it's Officer Dial. It's not even personal against him. There is a visceral hatred for the police in the city of Philadelphia on the part of all progressives, every single progressive, many Democrats, some of whom are moderate, um, and even some moderate, squishy conservatives who bought and swallowed hook, line and sinker, this ridiculous narrative of a racist criminal justice system. Um, The fact that it has been, you know, uh, weighed more heavily on minorities than it has on uh, people not of color. You know, if you look at the statistics, that's not the case. The populations that commit The greatest number of crimes are the populations that are going to be targeted, and it has nothing to do with the color of your skin, or your religion, or your gender. It has to do with empirical evidence: who's committing the crimes, in what neighborhoods do they live. You go after that, and don't worry about the being politically correct and woke, and you know socially conscious, and this whole social justice. Um, I was going to say something that I wasn't allowed to say. Yeah, yeah. Social justice is tough. Uh, B.S. Is, yeah. is keeping uh, BS. Thank you is making us um, unsafe.
1: Well, um, I put up on Twitter today, and I thought about it before I did it. Um, sometimes it's a good idea. Uh, I <laughs> I put up, you know, is this a uh, is is it okay to notice that this seems to be a black thing. And you, yeah. you, of course, you risk being called a racist for for noticing what's so blatantly obvious. you all you have to do is look at the video. Uh, and I was talking about the looting and not just yes. the looting itself. The video that I was watching, and yep. somebody accused me of, you know, a, 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 issuing a dog whistle and all that stuff. But what oh, you shocker. just what you just said is is that by being afraid to mention that it is black, uh, young black <laughs> men who are doing this in and it's that actually makes it more likely that it will continue. And it, it has nothing it to do does. with being racist. It's like being racist for noticing that most of the players in the NBA are black. It's just, it, it, exactly. that doesn't make you a racist, it just makes you observant. And it, it's, why, is it, why, is, why are so many people afraid to mention that this seems to be a black thing? And I don't know what that, what that has to do with the solution to it, but it, you, don't you at least have to recognize that? And be willing yeah, to say I mean, it
0: out loud? Exactly. It's like the Emperor's new clothes, yeah. that old fairy yeah. tale where, you know, you see this man with no clothing and, and nobody's willing to admit what's what's actually happening. And it's not helping <laughs> excuse me, it's not helping the communities of color either, because um you know, just as there are large percentages of um minorities who are committing crimes, their victims tend to be overwhelmingly People of color, so the ones who are suffering the most are suffering at the hands of people in their own communities, and it is really horrific that because we want to make people feel better about themselves, that we will deny um uh, you know an empirical reality. Um, a newspaper that I used to to write for the Philadelphia Daily News years ago used to put mugshots of people mm-hmm. on, uh, you know, in, you know, if you committed a crime, your mugshot would be made publicly available. And there was one very infamous um, cover of the Daily News where the whole front page was covered with mugshots and every single mugshot was of a black man, an African-American. Mm-hmm. That triggered a lot of anger in the community here. And so the Daily News did what a bunch of other newspapers across the country have done. And they said, from now on, we're not going to, uh, we're, we're not going to identify race in, um, you know, when we're talking about criminals, and we're not going to um, run these mugshots. And so, okay, you're basically protecting the identity of a criminal, and maybe if you did have the mugshot out there, which is the whole point of having a mugshot, is so that the public can identify a criminal, if you have it out there, it's going to make you safer. But and either, then,
1: yeah, either avoid them or, or uh, get him thrown in prison and taken off the streets.
0: Right. But you can't do that because then that's considered racist. So, yeah, it's, it's self-defeating. And the people that are hurting the most are the people in those communities that are being targeted. And that happens to be communities of color.
1: Let me ask you something. Uh, you know, you're, you're down in Philadelphia. We're talking to Christine Flowers. Um, we hear about black leaders all the time, people like Al Sharpton, the usual suspects. Um, and I, I don't know what their the black leadership, quote unquote, the, their response was to the killing of the uh, of the civilian. But do they ever show up and say, uh, hey, look, I was looking at the videos. This is this is mostly young black men doing this uh, and go into those communities and say, you guys got to cut this out. They, they, nobody ever even mentions that it's that it, that that's who's doing it. And they're so quick to jump on a a black man being uh, killed or injured by a cop, sometimes justifiably, but they never bring up the, the subject of, you know, this seems to be a thing that maybe we black people need to fix. What's going on here?
0: Well, there are actually in Philadelphia, there are some really... Um, courageous, independent, thinking, um, representatives of, like, community leaders, civic leaders. There's a guy named Ikey e. Raw here in Philadelphia. There are a number of, um, there, you know, number of, uh, coaches and, and heads of boys clubs and, um, you know, high school coaches and they, they do come out and they do speak to this. But the institutional ones, the politicians, the yep. glad handers, they don't. And just to make one comment, Eddie Irizarry, who was the victim here, uh, he was Latino. He mm-hmm. was Hispanic. Okay. He was not black. So, um, there wasn't, I did not expect that there would be a lot of anger from the African American community. Mm-hmm. And to be quite honest, it, it was interesting because the looters were overwhelmingly African American. And, yeah. I, and I said to myself, I said, wow, what a way to celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month. Yeah. And then I said, you know, all of this is due to the fact that we still have our Columbus statue up in Philadelphia.
1: Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> and we're like, that's okay, what else? No, yeah.
0: it's, it's it's really, I laugh about it to to keep from crying, John. And the sad part is, again, I felt like Cassandra. I knew what was going to happen. And it's like you see a slow-moving train, but you can't get off the tracks. It's Mm -hmm. like being tied to the tracks, and you see it happening. And I was in it last night. Thank thank God I was in a, you know, whatever, 10-ton bus. So I, I felt fairly safe. But when I got off at my bus stop, I still had to walk through a phalanx of people, and there were cop cars. And God bless the cops. God bless them. They're out there doing a very thankless job. And being spat upon and being insulted and people hating on them, and yet, guess what? They show up every day and they do their job.
1: Yeah. Hey, I'm out of time, uh, Christine. Um, as they, as we used to say during COVID, stay safe down there. <laughs> you know.
0: <laughs> I, I I will, and my next dispatch will be from Kosovo.
1: <laughs> Good. All right. I appreciate you coming on. As always, we'll talk again soon. I'm sure. Thank you. John. Okay, that's Christine Flowers and we will be right back. Well, give Colin Kaepernick credit. You remember Colin. He's still out there. He's I think he's 36, hasn't played in five years. He still works out every day with the idea that uh, he might come back to play in the NFL. And so you probably know that Aaron Rodgers, uh, his season ended last week or a week and a half ago because of an Achilles uh, injury. Well, Collins sent a letter to the Jets, and it said, um, he said he would be honored to join the team and, quote, lead the practice squad with the sole position of getting your defense ready each week. He said, I'm sure of my ability to provide you with an elite quarterback option if, God forbid, QB1 goes down. However, I know that there may naturally be uncertainties from you, possibly from others about my playing abilities. This plan, I believe, allows me of great service to be of great service to the team as a practice squad quarterback while also giving you a low commitment chance to assess my capabilities to help in any other capacity you may see fit. Worst case scenario, you see what I have to offer, and you're not that impressed. Best case scenario, you realize that you have a real weapon at your disposal in the event you ever need to use it. In either of these scenarios, I would be committed to getting your defense ready week in and week out all season long, and I would wear that responsibility like a badge of honor. And by the way, the NFL is like a plantation, and it treats all of the players like slaves. No, he didn't say that. He forgot to put that in the letter. That's what he said when he did that video, and he had these guys lined up, like, on draft. It was, I think it was around the draft a couple of years ago, and it was like they were inspecting slaves for, for to be traded and sold uh, on the market when they were looking at players for the NFL draft. So this guy who said that about the NFL sure is polite when he's trying to get a job, and I don't know. Um, if I'm the Jets, I tell him thanks, but no thanks, which is what they did. So uh, – Keep plugging out there, Colin, and uh, maybe you want, might want to check out the USFL, the W, uh, or the XFL. Give them a try. I'll talk to you tomorrow.